Welcome to Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Catch us on iTunes or visit audiogyan.com for more Gyan sessions. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. This is my rendition inspired from Pula Deshpande's Batata Chi Chaal. Mrs. Lele exactly knew how much dal is left in Mrs. Oak's house. after the evening supper because she could walk into the house any time while the dinner continued today mrs nimkar whatsapp mrs joshi both living in nilkan heights to ask if she is free for a quick chat only upon getting the blue tick and yes from mrs joshi mrs nimkar will go to the house and let me tell you even now mrs joshi will first look into the keyhole before opening the door trust privacy security and many such words have got a different meaning in the coming decades as we move from chawls to high rises well to discuss this and more about chawls and urban culture and their design today i have rupali gupte with us on audio gan rupali is an architect and co-founder of bard studio in mumbai her work includes research on indian urbanism with focus on architecture urban culture urban economy property housing urban forms entrepreneurial and tactical practices Rupali is also the founding member of Urban Research Network (CRIT) and School of Environment and Architecture. Uh, so, thank you, Rupali, for giving your time, and it's a real, real honor to have you on Audio Gan. Thanks, thanks, Kedar, for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. So, I've I've kept the the topic as uh, Charles of Mumbai, and uh, there's also like a interesting paper which you had written uh, from where I got some ideas to ask you a few questions around it. and uh, yeah hoping to document those uh, in this session so the first thing uh, uh, if we can start and if you can set the context uh, there seems to be like two fascinating speculations about the word chawl like how did it originate uh, if you can tell about that and then we can explore more uh, options yeah so so there are many speculations about the origin of uh, the word chawl um mm. and and the origin of the type chawl itself uh one of the speculations is that perhaps it must have emerged from military barracks right a military barracks which were one of the early forms of of housing uh typically these are uh, uh single rooms that are tied together with a corridor uh so that could be one of the uh, ways in which the chawl could have emerged the other uh, speculation is that it must have emerged from the agrarian vada this the typical house of uh, an agricultural setting uh, which is called wada which is predominant in maharashtra um, and perhaps that could be one of the genealogies of of the chawl as well uh, where uh, some of these wadas did exist in mumbai as as these agricultural forms and when traders started coming in with the mercantile colonial economy uh, some of the, them required housing and and it must have been that uh, the farmers and the plantation owners rented out individual rooms from this wada uh, to the incoming people so that could also be this and then this wada in some ways becomes multi tenanted so that could be another uh, reason um, you know in in some ways uh, for the chawl to emerge um but there are other kind of specific specifications you know there are other significations of the chawl uh, for example the chawl is also a common street in front of a house um or in marathi it's also called the chaal or the sieve uh, 
um, and and we have instances of warehouses. Um, even today, you find some of these warehouses near Nashik, which are which store onions, um, and the walls of these warehouses are like trellises, uh, so literally like sieves. So that could also be, uh, in some ways, the kind of origin of the chawl. So we really don't know exactly, but there are many of these speculations in in the way the chawl uh, could have emerged. Hmm. I was also reading about uh, chawl uh, in Marathi. It also means uh, uh, to filter, right? And and uh, yeah. is is there a connection between the the filtered or the elite used to remain uh, separately and the 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 residue used to be? uh play, like the residue as in like the kind of people used to stay here is that one of the speculation not at all actually not at all a filter when you say the sieve yes you know hmm. the tsar or the or the sieve huh. uh but not in terms of filtering people because um the chawl remember that it is you know i mean this is before the apartment comes into the picture so the hmm. chawl is predominantly a middle class urban form everybody lived in chawls okay and and there are two kinds of of chawls one is this is this is almost for 300 years you had uh, the chawl as the predominant urban housing type uh, for all kinds of people from traders uh, in the beginning uh, with the mercantile economy to later with industrial housing when when you required housing for workers uh, you had uh, the mill owners actually setting up these kind of houses uh, for workers for the mill workers but before that it's the traders remember who are living in this uh, kind of housing not in any ways filtering any kind of uh, you know it's much later that with the apartment um, the idea of housing you know shifts to uh, you know our entire imagination shifts to apartments only later apartments come into the picture in mumbai only in the 1920s um, okay. and so in some ways the chawl was the predominant urban housing type in mumbai how would you describe a chawl i mean like uh, is it like a public space or a private space when it emerge and then later on from 1920s and what we have today so is there any pattern yeah yeah so uh, so i mean just to kind of uh, uh, step back a little bit you know the whole idea of type in architecture is is, uh, is very important no type in architecture is a generic form of a building so for example you would have a bungalow type or you have the row house or the apartment type so the mm. chawl is is a very specific uh, type and and if you kind of describe it in its most basic form it is a series of of rooms that are tied together with a uh, with a corridor huh? mm. and uh, mm. most of the times the toilets are common they are they're shared toilets they are outside the house mm. um but then i mean this is the most basic type but then there are variations of this type so for example sometimes you would have a chawl a corridor on one side of the uh, of the chawl sometimes you would have a front corridor and a back corridor sometimes you would have this configured around a courtyard so there's a kind of hole in the center you know this courtyard mm. in the center and and the chawl is actually wrapping around the courtyard sometimes you had long bars and and two bars which were then connected the corridors on both the sides are connected with series of bridges so there's series of variations of of this type of uh, housing but what is most interesting in that is that these the common spaces these corridors the bridges actually become this idea of of semi public or semi private kinds of spaces when your house is actually much smaller it's it's a small smaller space 
and these then become these extended ideas of home uh, and you'll find a lot of people then hanging around in these spaces um, and and in some ways what happens then is that the whole building starts becoming one house you know so the whole idea of a house being a, a kind of property that is relegated to just the private space of the family is somehow blurred you know and you in some ways it becomes a kind of extended idea of the home where the the, the people who are staying with you in some ways become an extended family so it, i mean it's it's interesting that this particular type allows this kind of blurring of the public and the private um and you know i mean it's also kind of interesting to think of how then uh, the traders lived or or even the mill workers huh? in some ways um the i mean the history of of mill workers inhabiting the chawl is actually also quite interesting uh mm. because in some ways uh, there were there used to be almost 12 to 15 people sometimes sharing one room and this is the early days of of the mills uh in mumbai when when the mill workers came from konkan and other parts of the hinterland uh and did not actually come with families uh so they were generally single men who lived and shared this this small uh single tenement um and the way they would actually manage to do that is uh that there were shifts in the mills right that there would be three shifts mm-hmm. um and that's how they were able to share so many people were able to share the place uh but imagine what would happen on days of of common holidays um or even on days of strikes when all the you know all the workers would be in one place and that's mm-hmm. when they would sort of start inhabiting all these external spaces the corridors the bridges and and you know in some ways um uh, a kind of culture uh, evolves which is very different from this kind of privatized living that we see now and an entire urban culture evolves out of then this this kind of idea of of blurring the boundaries of the public and private a lot of people spend time outside and that's when you have you know urban culture evolving you have cinema and you have theater and all kinds of things evolving and that was a very very rich culture uh, in maharashtra at this time so what is interesting is that this particular urban type in some ways uh, we could say you know give rise to this this kind of larger urban culture um and even today you would you would see uh that you know uh, the way people actually live there are there are a lot of redevelopments going on now uh but people actually prefer many people prefer to live in these settings because of this um idea that you know this that that in some ways it is uh not a privatized life that you're living but it's a kind of communal uh communitarian sort of life that you kind of live and this particular typology allows for that form of life and living very interesting so so when you mentioned that there are subtypes in in like a chawl uh, you also speak about porosity so is yeah. it uh, that the the chawl types which have two verandas like two two bridges one in the front and back like is there any pattern between how porous the 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 houses are yeah exactly i mean that's uh, it's very interesting because again as opposed to the apartment where once you are inside the house you you know you lock the door and you're inside you know mm-hmm. uh this particular specific you know specification of uh the way the house is configured um you know when you have a corridor in the front and you have a corridor at the back uh most of the times the the these these the doors on either sides are kept open 
um, and so you will find people walking in and out of the of the house um, you know and that's what we call a porous um, you know uh, people to actually uh, uh, I mean, visitors to come in, un, you know, with, without any apprehension. Um, and you know, there's a very interesting case. I recently visited um, the Punawala Chol in Parel, and uh, there was a young. I mean, there was an old couple who was staying in in one of those houses, um, and the the old gentleman there was ill. Uh, he was, you know, he was bedridden almost for three years. Uh, but you know, it was possible for him to be like that uh, because of this porosity. Because he would have visitors coming in and out, um, and that's what is interesting. In in when you do not have state social security, uh, you require a community to kind of support you, um, and this form of housing then you know allows that kind of porosity. It allows that form of of living, you know, and and this particular. Uh, in Punawala Chol itself, there's some very interesting uh, details that kind of, you know, uh, also in some ways talk about this porosity. Um, so, for example, there was the the outer door, you know, the the kind of you would, what you would call uh, uh, typically the main door of the house. You know, that door actually worked in such a way that it closed off the uh, the room, that the tenement from the outside. But that same door also was uh, shut the kitchen cabinet. So through the day, through the day, the kitchen cabinet was closed and the outside door would remain open. Okay. And it was only in the night when the same door that closed the kitchen cabinet would switch, would, would swivel around and close the outside, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a very interesting detail. And there's, uh, you know, the artist Dushan actually had a detail like that where he had worked out you know, the same door kind of having hinges in a particular way so that the door actually shuts two rooms at the same time and you don't have to have two doors. And in some ways, it also shows the ingenuity of people in the way that you know, these kind of uh, very clever tactical details are, are, are you know, configured. But what is also interesting then is that this particular detail also shows that the house um, you know, uh, uh, remains porous that the inhabitants kind of have detailed the house in such a way that they want the, the, the outside to kind of remain open to outsiders to be able to walk in and out whenever. And in some ways that also gives you a form of, of security, um, you know, and, and you do not have to then close the door. So, so the idea of security is very different. There's no, there's no fear of theft. Um, mm, but on mm. the other hand, the security comes from, you know, knowing that your neighbor can walk into your house at any point and, you know, you will not be left alone. Um, and, you know, you will even as, as old people, you would not sort of, you know, uh, die of loneliness. So yeah. that's actually what is interesting about this whole idea of porosity in the house. Mm-hmm. But did it conflict with privacy? Because uh, or is this privacy like a more urban phenomena? So, so the thing is, yes, um, now uh, in, in many ways, privacy is something that the younger people cherish, right? Mm-hmm. The younger people in some ways um, do, uh, you know, try to escape from this idea of being watched and, and sort of, you know, find their own, own spaces. 
So even in the Chols, I you know some of my thesis students are doing uh, studies on Chols, and and they are trying, they kind of are trying to figure out how it is that that younger people, you know, in some ways make homes, um, you know, for themselves, configure their own sort of private spaces uh, in the space of the uh, Chol. Uh, but but what is you know in, interesting is that this kind of idea of of privacy. Um, and and sort of you know publicness or or this idea of of a security that comes from a larger community something that becomes very specific uh, you know especially in contemporary Mumbai um, and I, I mean just kind of to look at what some of the statistics of you know who is going to inhabit or who is inhabiting the city and who is going to be inhabiting the city soon. Uh, you know the, the the if you look at very closely the growth of the city. The city is not really growing that much. Huh? It is growing less than the national average is. Um, oh, is it? Also, mm -hmm. you know, the internal. I mean, people are not coming. New people are not coming to the city because you know it's expensive. Um, there are not no new jobs in the city, and so the city in the next twenty years is going to become the city of the old. Okay, hmm. and it's this is very important for us to think about because more and more you you redeveloping your properties you are turning these older urban forms into high-rise apartments where you will have the old actually trapped into these apartments huh? and mm. and kind of all kinds of things from mental health to all kinds of issues will start popping up and what is important is that you have to really look very carefully at the demographies of your city on the other hand you also look at you know again the fact that if new jobs are not coming in to, in terms of the way we've understood the city always as this financial capital, it's not going to remain a financial capital anymore. But what you see actually is that it's, it's a cultural capital, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have all kinds of uh, uh, jobs that will come in that are more media related and all kinds of things. So again, you'll require very, very different kinds of housing. Uh, and today you're seeing, you know, co-working spaces coming up tomorrow, you know, very soon you're going to have to also look at the idea of co-living, you know, along with co-working. And these chores in many ways become very interesting types to think of this, this contemporary form of living, uh, where you're able to share resources, uh, where you can, you know, actually kind of, you're not consuming a lot of resources, so you don't have large apartments, but you have smaller tenements with a lot of common spaces, which, you know, become in some ways resources for you. So it's possible to think, I, I mean, definitely there is a, a compromise in privacy um, in, in the older form of the chawl, but it's also possible to kind of start thinking of retrofitting these chawls. So for example, common toilets are the ones that are the most, uh, you know, affect privacy the most. But it's, mm. it's possible to kind of work with this idea of a communitarian form of, of living by retrofitting, for example, toilets inside your house. You know, mm. it's, it's possible to retrofit uh, the, the apartment, I mean, the, the tenement itself to have, you know, furniture, which is able to, uh, you know, uh, multiply uh, and also create these ideas of privacy. You also have very interesting heights in these spaces. And it's also possible to work with lofts and other things. Um, that are possible to configure privacy. So in that sense, you know, uh, uh, privacy is something that can be worked out. Uh, but what is important is that we shouldn't be losing 
some of the communitarian spirit that this this type actually uh, provides so I'll, I'll come back to this point i just had a uh, one more thing so mumbai as a city uh, uh, has its own character just because the the chawls were predominant uh, form of uh, uh, living i have this 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 personal judgment about mumbai is being so tolerant uh, either because people are oblivious of what's happening around them and they are just on their own uh, zone or then it has been built by patients like standing in front of these common chawl toilets yeah see i'm not saying i don't think we can we need to romanticize common toilets mm-hmm. you know uh, that's a kind of infrastructure that is important to retrofit and provide you know in some ways it's having toilets inside the house is a form of dignity you don't have to stand in lines outside waiting to go to a toilet you know so, uh, no so, sorry to interrupt but what i want to understand is uh, because of this uh, uh, style of living we have built yeah. patience so there are always trade offs right so you get yeah. things inside you have more security you have uh, hygiene yeah. you have uh, yeah. your dignity but uh, yeah. when not just toilets but different sorts of uh, common living spaces build in more yeah. uh, more rapport between the people living Absolutely. there so so yeah. Um, yeah if you can share any insights there yeah yeah no so absolutely you know when you, when you began with this idea that you know does the chawl actually lend any character to the city it mm. absolutely does um and you know it's it's the chawl is again a predominantly urban form you know as opposed to other forms which are perhaps you know apartments or others which tend to become insular you know so in some ways you will find that the chawl is also configured most of the times in ways that because these are longer types um they face streets um and in some ways increase the number of transactions that one can actually have with the street you know mm. as opposed to being closed into a compound wall and becoming insular and so in that sense it's not only porosity between the house and and the common spaces but it's also porosity with the city so often you will find that uh the the tenements the the internal spaces are buffered with these these long verandas or corridors that face the city uh and they become a place where you can sit and actually watch the whole kind of drama of the city unfold uh but in some ways you can also you're also watching the city um and so there's there's the eyes on the street you know um mm. which the famous line that jane jacob sort of you know to, uh, brought to us this idea of eyes on the street which makes the street a secure space you know and more and more you see that when these stalls are getting redeveloped they are turning into a the high rise towers uh, but also you have other norms like parking and other things that have come into the picture so even you know up to the to ground and seven stories you have parking now you know so the mm. city is going to become more and more characterless you know it's going to become more and more unwalkable because you have suddenly these kind of stacks of parking and cars keeping on coming down because you do not have adequate infrastructure you know your streets are not wide enough for these cars to come down they're not walkable anymore because now you're you're surrounded by by cars as opposed to what you were surrounded by earlier you know these kind of verandas on the street where where people would look out uh, you know into and so this whole idea of the urban character is something that the chawl actually provided in a very very rich way uh but that's something that is kind of you know being compromised in some ways uh by other forms of of kind of dwelling uh which are becoming more and more insular 
and taking away some of the character of the city. And, you know, I mean, just to kind of also come back to this idea that like the city's character actually was built through so many, many different kinds of housing, you know, from yeah. site and services schemes to the chawls, um, to the row houses and so many other forms of life and living uh, have actually made this made the city and its character. Uh, but today, somehow, you know, the, the apartment has kind of hijacked our own sort of, you know, imagination. Um, and it's not only the apartments, even the early apartments were, you know, walk-ups and those were also a nice spaces. Uh, but today, the only kind of imagination is the high-rise with, like I just said, uh, stacked parking that goes up to seven stories and, you know, where you're kind of living a, a life which is uh, turning your back to the city in many ways. Mm-hmm. But being a financial capital, I think, uh, is it fair to say it's inevitable? The the question is mainly, like, can elites stay in Chol? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the uh, thing that I also kind of, uh, in some ways, answer a little bit in the sense that not going to remain that financial capital that it was, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to speculate on where the city is going and plan accordingly. You know, I mean, because what happens is, you know, in the, the last development plan, there was such a generic idea of everyone requires nine square meter space, you know, but who is this everybody who is going to inhabit the city in the future? Where is your economy going? You know, who are these elites that are going to be occupying the city? I think these are questions that have to be looked at very, very closely. Um, and I think that's where your, you know, the, the whole idea that in the future, your city, you have to promote your cultural economy. That's where your city is moving towards. It's moving towards a cultural economy where uh, in some ways it's media, it's, you know, uh, uh, design and other things that are taking over your, 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 you know, businesses. And so you require spaces for that. You, I mean, who are these elite, you know, who are these elite? It's, it's the people who are, you know, uh, going to be occupying the people who like, like, for example, you saw the co-working spaces, they've come up because they're, they're answering the market demand where you know that people can no longer afford, uh, you know, uh, large offices, which right. is why you have these very interesting new forms of collective where people are sharing office spaces, right? And they're right. sharing resources. Now, is it? one has to really think about in the future, what are these, you know, who are we building these large apartments for? Today, if you see half the housing that you build, which is speculative housing, is empty. You know, you have mm. billboards. I, I mean, I to say that, you know, developers are in trouble today because they, this only imagination that they've thought is, that to thought, thought, of, thought about is to kind of make houses for the elite, you know? But mm. most of your city is not able to afford it. And you're seeing it right, right now. Developers have some kind of holding capacity. So they're holding on to the, to the stocks. But you can see this is the first time that we're seeing billboards with the prices of, of housing in Mumbai. Had you ever seen that? You know, <laughs> that you have developers actually kind of quoting the price on the city. You never saw that before. Who is this? Who are these elite? And, you know, who are you building for? Um, and start becoming much, much more specific in the ways you actually start looking at the demands, um, you know, for housing and, and how they can be met. Because otherwise, you're going to have a bubble uh, that is just waiting to burst. Mm-hmm. 
so so how how would one go about i mean these architecture types uh, are to be designed based on people or then people will uh, inhabit in the way they want it like how does that dynamic uh, will work so that like you know like i said they were they have been even in this city in in mumbai itself um we've had so many different kinds of delivery systems of of housing the developer today has become the inevitable uh you know service provider uh mm. but the developer you know if you historicize it a little bit the developer was not always in the picture you had in the 70s uh, a very uh, strong cooperative housing society movement you know where uh, the government would lease land to groups of people who would come together uh, from all you know all walks of life um, and then they would you know they would hire a contractor and an architect and and they would actually build their own housing you know uh, mm. so that's that's a possibility to kind of start thinking about you know is it possible to think of uh, new forms of cooperatives that can you know think for themselves build kind of housing for themselves um the other is uh, the idea of redevelopment which is you know big big today um and the only i mean the thing is the middle class is kind of you know almost becoming greedier and greedier and there was a time there that um at some point you know developers kind of came in and gave so many stops um that you just kind of sat and and waited for free housing you know um and this would be kind of built out of subsidies so the sale component that kind of came in um would would build would give you free housing but today again you're not seeing that um happening anymore um and you you see so many projects that have stalled you know one way again to think about is that there could be soft loans that people could get and you know to redevelop their houses and not in ways that you know that you kind of build these most unsustainable high rises i mean think about it um when you're build when you're building those kind of high rises you're also paying huge maintenance charges and right. how many people can afford those maintenance charges you know and at some point when those maintenance charges rise um you know if you're if you're older uh, you're on pension you will not be able to afford those kind of charges and slowly you would you know you would sell that and you would leave so there's a kind of soft eviction that happens through you know the these kind of typologies so you will really have to come back to other forms of more sustainable housing to you know to able to live in the city for for a really long time you know and the yeah. third thing i would say again um, is the idea of repair and retrofit again that is a very very important model because again we only think of building a new but there's so much very very interesting housing stock in the city uh, that has given rise to a kind of form of life and living um, which has like i've said in the you know before generated a certain kind of urban culture um, and so it is possible to even think of repairing and retrofitting um there was at some point there was for the chols particularly there was a tax that was collected by the government called the cess tax uh you had mada coming in there was a repair board that was set up that repaired uh, those houses but in some ways a very shoddy job of, of that was done um mm. you know many times you saw this very nice wood of the chols would be sold uh, and would be replaced by you know struts metal struts that that are not very nice 
um, that you know kind of take away from the uh, in many ways the the, the kind of uh, beauty of the chawls you know yeah, yeah. Um, but in some ways i think if we bring back this idea of repair and retrofit very seriously uh, you know the government sort of also takes uh, heed of it pays heed to it and brings it back in some ways um, that's another way in which we can actually think of repairing retrofitting uh, where both you know residents uh, the government also in some ways contributes to you know thinking of of, of some, somehow a kind of larger um, idea of of uh, bringing back some of these typologies and repairing and retrofitting them and making them available uh, for contemporary use but but uh, then why do you think government or some some authoritative body need to come and let the people itself decide so i like i was uh, i saw your talk uh, at wid uh, and yeah. and a few of the installations which you had uh, shown in venice biennale i believe also so there people are designing and building their own uh, ecosystem just probably 3 feet uh, within their 3 feet distance so if given that freedom people can design their own stuff as well right so why some yeah. else have to uh, like no, how, I, can, how can how yeah. can you unlock this yeah right right no i think i mean i'm what i'm saying is that we need to think about it on various registers you know mm-hmm. um like for example redevelopment of your existing chawls um would be in your hands you know like where the tenant comes in where the landlord comes in and others and and in some ways many stakeholders are are in the uh, you know in, in the picture um and so and particularly when it comes to you things like cooperative societies and other things when it's completely in the hands of 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 uh, people it is possible for uh, people to come in and say we do not want the developer or we we kind of start thinking of reconfiguring their houses uh you know uh, where they take charge and not let the developer sort of take over you know so mm-hmm. in some ways and you're seeing that in many places this whole idea of self development is is coming in in a big way there are or there there have been examples of people actually doing that um mm-hmm. but in some ways i think even when they are doing that this whole idea of 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 type and typology um is something that is very very important and and people don't understand often the value of space and what it can do to kind of enhance their life and living so again i know that has to come back into discussion in a big big way um you know within uh, uh, the the uh, public as well uh, but you know it it's when it comes to people who cannot afford um and the rent can mm. played a big big role in this you know, post 1947 uh, you know the rents were frozen we had the rent control act that came in uh many people are you know uh, upset with it but in some ways it also allowed people um you know to to survive in those spaces you know people who could not have afforded and this is where uh, you know government i mean really kind of housing is something which is uh today seen as as something that is speculative uh but housing is also in some ways a right no so mm-hmm. it i think it's so it's important at at different registers for uh you know that's where the government tried to come in and and facilitate uh housing and and that's something we've seen uh, up to the 90s you know mid 80s actually the government was a provider of housing and they provided housing to many many low income groups and other things um 
in the 90s, the government started taking a backseat. It became a facilitator of housing as opposed to the provider that it was. And that's when it kind of opened up all these various uh, policies where they started giving incentives to developers. Um, mm. You know, and in their own, even their own authorities, if you are, you're a Maharashtra Housing and Area Development Authority, you should be actually uh, setting the pace, you know, setting the terms for housing. Uh, but in, in some ways, they also started acting like developers, you know. So yeah. I think it's important to have a, a way in which you kind of also think of housing for all kinds of people, uh, you know, people who can afford, but people who can't afford uh, is very important. And, and that's where the government needs to take some, some kind of, you know, play some kind of role as well. I mean, it's, it's such huge and such vast, uh, I, I can't, like, I'm not like in a position to ask more nuanced questions, but uh, just as a, as a, like a layman question and which I've been, which has been troubling me a lot, uh, especially in the Bombay context that if you look at the way high rises are being built and there are these uh, certain norms, which the government has put in that you have to have like a the the staircase of this width so that the stretcher can at least go down and go up uh, those kind of basic norms are also not being followed so uh, i mean this is slightly off but if you can help me understand how come the roads are not big enough to handle these huge uh, accommodations in high rises and yet they are not designed uh, as the way they should be so what's going wrong uh, if you can help me understand so, so again, um, I think one, uh, the instances that you're talking about are in many cases, this is, uh, again, part of the facilitation that the government did. Um, and a lot of these came from actually redevelopments of Chawls. Um, this is that we had, uh, we had 19,000 uh, Chawl houses in the city, uh, which were, you know, up for redevelopment. Um, and one of the things that the government did was that uh, it relaxed some of the norms of setbacks um, so that you could, you know, so that it became a for you in some ways profitable for the developer to uh, build. And so in many cases, you must have seen, particularly in the inner city of Mumbai, like um, in South Bombay, there are there are towers which are very close to each other with very small distances between them. And that is because uh, norms of, of setbacks and light and ventilation uh, were relaxed. And this also happens actually in the slum redevelopments. So you will mm. see uh, today even, I mean, sometimes you see 24-story buildings with uh, only uh, three-meter distances between them. And again, this was uh, one of the policies of the government where these norms were relaxed uh, so that incentives could be given to developers, you know. And mm. I mean, in some ways, it was also the fire tender also couldn't come in because you did not have enough space for, uh, you know, the fire tender to move in because these regulations were relaxed. So I think this is, again, something that uh, is, is part of the facilitation, you know rather so you, you're facilitating rather than and than thinking about what infrastructure already exists and then what you would allow uh, you know in terms of uh, whether you could allow a high rise or not um, so i think which is why you need to switch you need to change the ways you look at uh, you know you can't build on the 
um, uh, supply side, you have to kind of start thinking of what does it mean to think of what is the demand actually, you know, mm, what, mm. what would actually be required. And for example, I mean, very simple case, uh, we, we kind of the, the norm of parking, for example, know that the fact that you have to have so many number of parking spots and, uh, and then you kind of come give rise to these high um, parking towers in, in the lower stories of your building with no regard to the size of the road that you have in front of you. You know, Correct. these are all very, very myopic policies. But on the other hand, you know, I, I, when you're thinking of, of planning the city, again, you have to start thinking of a larger strategy. You really need to think of public transport, for example, where people are disincentivized for having cars. You know, you mm. cannot run a city where you start thinking of every single individual having their own cars. Your cities at this scale just won't work, you know. So mm. instead of, of looking at myopic policies where you are, you're forced to get people to, uh, the developers to have parking spots inside, you disincentivize people for having cars, you know. And then you kind of facilitate a, a, a kind of urban form which provides a kind of rich cultural life to the city. You provide for very good public transport, which dignifies people's lives, you know? So mm. even if I can afford to have a car, I should not want to have a car because my life is much uh, nicer without the car. You know, I can walk in the city. I'll, I'll be a healthier person if I could do that, you know? So mm. I think uh, the way we are kind of looking at um, many of our solutions are extremely myopic. You really have to step back and look at a larger way in which you kind of think of, of city culture. Definitely. I think, uh, I mean, like I have like many questions around that, but just to keep the chal concept uh, back, uh, I wanted to ask you last two questions. One is, so these uh, general norms, uh, the, these were considered while designing these chawls or chawls were like really organic spaces? Um, so in many cases, I, it... They, they came much more organically and but in the sense that for example because these rooms are small you have the corridors which become wider you know mm. um and so these did come organically and it's interesting today to get, come back and study those because what happens later is when the fsi norm comes in you know the floor space index norms come in you start having the urban form taking a back seat um, and then it is, it becomes a numeric logic, you know. So when, though the, the chawls are, are organically developing, there is the idea of thinking of the type, you know. The type which is important in terms of the way it would face the street, for example, how tall it would be, uh, what would be, you know, what would be the context of it. And all of these and what is, you know, in many countries called form-based codes, that you think of, of the urban form of a city carefully um, is something that has been thought of, uh, you know, in, in recent times. Uh, but we have, some, I mean, some of the norms of, of uh, you know, um, uh, building regulations that we have are extremely generic, which do not in any ways uh, focus on urban form. And to think that, you know, urban form gives rise to a particular kind of form of life and living is something that is very important. So I think today we really have to come back, even if we ha if these have come up organically, it's it will be interesting to analyze where you know what these have generated 
and what kind of building regulations would come you know bring back some of this kind of uh, you know experience of of city living uh, which some of these older types gave us because clearly uh, many of the new types that have come out through generic uh, norms of floor space index and and the way we have we are kind of building these insular uh, types through compound walls and other things is not you know it, it's kind of uh, making your city life quite poor and that's why you'll see a lot of the way the suburbs have grown are very different from the way uh, you know um, if you walk into some of the streets of uh, Bhuleshwar and Kalba Devi and others it's right now it's the traffic congestion that has taken over but the 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 city life actually is much much richer there than you know some of the generic ways in which the suburbs have developed in mumbai to conclude i have like a two fold question like if you have to yeah. envision like mumbai in 2050 like yeah. one is uh, based on your research based on your uh, analysis based on your experience of what you have been studying uh what do you think is the future like and one is what do you would like it to be <laughs> uh and 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 if if obviously chols uh, exist in some shape and form as a as a type not necessarily the architecture but um, mm. uh how would that like how would they look like look like i mean um the way the development is going right now uh you know the chols may not exist you know mm. um and uh, Uh, you mean to say chol as a concept also as a concept also as a concept also the way i mean because that's what i'm saying that you know we we aren't paying attention to uh, the the cultural life that it is generating you know we are working very through kind of numeric logics you know uh, profits that are generated but but the thing is like you we've seen that the economy has you know in some ways is tanking no we've seen it around and these rede- redevelopments are not happening and so that's really what you can see the curve you know you can see that kind of drop um and in some ways we probably is also interestingly the hope you know that your city will not go that way uh, because it's not going to the, the economy itself is not going to sustain Uh, in that direction you know um mm. and so in many ways we will have to start thinking of alternatives we will have to start thinking of other forms in which uh we live our lives um and i i would say that um the chol would be definitely one of the types that will need to come back uh you know in its contemporary form you know uh mm. in its kind of retrofitted form in a contemporary form uh we will have to kind of you know because that's the only way in which uh you will have to start looking at a much more sustainable form of living so i i'm i i'm kind of hopeful you know i'm hopeful because i'm seeing this kind of uh there was this rampant redevelopment that was happening around and that redevelopment would actually completely destroy uh the your your city life you know mm. um but it's like i'm also hopeful because like i'm seeing these forms of 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 sort of you know like the co-working spaces and others that are emerging that that people are going to realize very soon that uh, we have we require a different form of living and so these will come back you know and and i would say that 
architects uh you know developers all for all kinds of people planners everyone who has some stakes of you know thinking uh, of the city uh, even economists i think have to in some ways uh, come back and think a little more uh, sensitively a little more uh, in a little more nuanced way uh, to think of where your city is going um and to bring back some of these models in new contemporary ways i'm not saying romanticize the older forms and say that you know this is the only way and mm. we've seen this in, in many places that uh you know cities have been retrofitted and and modernized with all the infrastructure uh for contemporary living but learning from older types you know and i think that is something that we we you know we cannot shy away from it's very important for us to uh, think about because that's the only way to think of the future hmm. but then how would these policies be designed let them again let them be open ended and people decide or again it will be uh, pushed down our throats uh, from some bodies no you will have to do some i mean you will have to do some lobbying i mean we who is the government is us you know i mean it's mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. democracy you know so yeah. in some ways you at various levels we will need to lobby as all kinds of thing as citizens as professionals you know so we will have to become active in thinking of how the policies are being shaped even when you have a development plan you have suggestions and objections that are there you know so in some ways citizens participate in many ways I think that's a very positive note and uh, frankly I have like many questions but just given the the time we have and and uh, sure. I would definitely like to have you again on audio again ask more questions understand how the urban setting is changing and what's the future like cool thank you uh, thank you rupali thank for you. giving your time it was really uh, wonderful talking to you thanks thanks so much bye and that's it from today's gyan session Catch us on iTunes, Savan, Stitcher, or any podcasting app you use. Do rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay tuned for more Gyan on AudioGyan.com. Till then, bye.